Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the first, the first, numero uno episode of the Undocumented Black Girl podcast. Woo! (laughs) I've been wanting to do this for a very long time, and the day, or should I say the date, is finally here, March 1st, 2020. And I will get into the significance of that date for you in a second. But first, who am I? That's a secret I'll never tell. XO, XO, undocumented girl. Can you tell that your girl has been watching a few too many episodes of Gossip Girl on Netflix? Because yeah, okay, just finished the series and while well, re-watching the series and it was very much the preteen drama that I remember it being when I watched it the first time in middle school and high school or whatever it was and yeah but unlike Gossip Girl I don't have the privilege of anonymity and I'll tell you why I need you to know exactly who I am my identities and where I come from in order to get a firm understanding of my positionality on the issues that we're going to be discussing on this platform. And so with that, my name is Danae and I'm an immigrant from Belize, Central America. I came to this country at the age of seven years old and I am one of the approximately 800,000 DACA or should I say Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals recipients in the United States. For those of you who are like, uh, DACA, what? What is that? Let me put it like this. Most people will know the 800,000 of us as dreamers, right? Undocumented youth who pushed the Obama administration to be able to do something um, that would grant status temporary or otherwise for undocumented people in this country. And one of the outcomes was DACA. So a little bit about Belize, because I am unapologetic about my Belizean ethnicity. To be clear, I am black, okay? I am B-L-A-C-K. But I immigrated from Belize, Central America. Belize is a small country of 500,000 people. To put that into perspective, I live in Los Angeles. I'm a proud Angelina. And the city has more people than the country of Belize. So Belize borders Guatemala. It is formerly known as British Honduras. So you'll have a lot of people say, oh, British Honduras. I'm like, no, honey, we don't claim what took place when we were colonized. We are Belizean, not British Hondurans. Okay, to be clear. And Belize is the only, the only English speaking country in Central America. But there is a lot of indigenous people in Belize who speak Spanish and other indigenous Mayan languages. And we also have a people known as the Garifuna people in Belize, who are the direct descendants of people from the continent. Right? So not only do we have English speakers, we have Spanish speakers, we have the Garifuna people, 
but we also have a dialect called Creole. So with that, I'm going to say Wedeguan to either my fellow Creole who are Belizean people or to maybe some of the islanders or folk from the Caribbean community who may be listening. And wait, did I mention that even though Belize is a part of Central America, we're also considered a part of CARICOM, the Caribbean community. So Belize be repping on all fronts, okay? Small country, but mighty because our people are proud, unapologetic of our history and crystal clear about our roots. So for perspective, I'm telling you this because most of my encounters with people have been, you know, when they ask me, where are you from? I'm the first to say I'm from Belize, Central America. And the reason that I start that is by is because by looking at me, you might not make that correlation. That wouldn't be the first correlation. You'd probably just say, oh, she's an African-American woman. And while I'm proud to be black, I need people to understand that black people come from all over the globe. We're not a monolith. We are everywhere due to the transatlantic slave trade, due to being snatched from the continent and taken to different parts of the world. So that's a fact. And so one time in particular, I was in a ride share. I forget which one. It might have been Lyft, might have been Uber. Not too sure. Don't recall. But, you know, I was having a conversation with the driver. Yes, I am that passenger who gets into conversations with the driver because I just feel awkward. I hate awkward silence. I, I can't do it. Ugh. I'll go into the car with the intention that I'm just going to spend that time responding to emails or, you know, listening to my music or, you know, whatever. And I usually catch up on articles and current events and things like that. Meanwhile, I'm in the Uber, but I always find myself engaging in conversations. And these are some pretty profound conversations with strangers on a daily basis. So any hoozing, I'm usually like, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. So, how long have you been driving for Uber? <laughs> and that leads to an array of conversations. Sometimes I don't even have to say that, but the driver initiates conversations with me, what have you. But this time in particular, the driver was like, you know, where are you from? And I'm like, okay, Belize. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it. I know Belize. Belize. In Africa, right? I'm like, quite <laughs> not quite okay because Belize is quite a ways from the African continent okay quite a ways but I'm trying to cushion the blow and you know I tell them that we border Guatemala Th that's another thing that people often do people will say if I say oh I'm from Belize people will say oh what's a country that borders it because they figure more than likely they would have heard about the country that borders it instead of just Belize so I'm like oh you know Guatemala whatnot and they're like oh okay yeah <laughs> yeah so I just break it down to tell you that so yes, I am an undocumented black woman and I chose this date March 1st 2020. The March 1st is really the most significant 
aspect. The 2020 doesn't really correlate, but the March 1st is the significance of why I chose this date. So let me tell you why. We are on the heels of Black History Month. February 29th was yesterday, which marked the final day of Black History Month 2020. But I want to be clear. As for me, Black History Month is each month. Each of the 12 months is Black History Month. Each of the 365 days is Black History for me. Okay, to be clear. But there is still an incredible accomplishment as far as getting black history to be recognized in an entire month nationally right that's usually when you see allies to the black community try to do programming and educational events about the accomplishments of black people both historically and contemporarily but i wanted us to start this podcast after Black History Month and at the beginning of Women's Her Story. And you heard me correct. I did not stutter, nor did I misspeak. Women's Her, H-E-R Story, not H-I-S, Her Story Month. And the reason being, those two identities, being Black, being a woman, has shaped so much of my lived experiences, of how I show up in this world, of people's perceptions of me, of how I, you know, see different things, the lens in which I use to see different issues. And I'm unapologetic about the fact that I'm undocumented and Black. And I couldn't do it just in Black History Month, and I couldn't just do it in Women's History Month. I needed those intersectionalities to be clear. Because like I said, you need to know who I am, all of who I am. And also, to side note, if you hear sirens, like the one that's passing right now, mm -hmm. if you hear helicopters, mm -hmm. okay, Keep on going. Keep, keep, keep on going. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's because we are in the heart of the city, okay? You are going to hear life happening all around me as I record these podcasts. So don't be alarmed. It's just what comes with city life, okay? So get into it. <laughs> yeah, so I needed both of those identities being black being a woman being an immigrant woman being a black undocumented person to shine through as i start this podcast and black history month is phenomenal like i said it is incredible but this black history month was a little rough for the collective community a lot of clownery was taking place right as far as you know some of the things that were being said you know I saw a clip of um DiGiorno and Spice wait a minute I'm getting a word from the producers are you sure really I I really thought that was their name no so that's not okay 
So the producers are telling me that their names aren't DiGiorno and Spice, that it's Diamond and Silk. And Diamond and Silk, for those of you who might not know, are the president's resident black friends. You know how every racist has that one black friend or in his case, he's fortunate to have two black friends that are utilized as an excuse, right? As to say, no, I'm not racist. You see, I have a black friend. So DiGiorno and Spike, Diamond and Silk are the resident black friends. So any hoozy at a conference, Diamond and Silk proceeded to say that socialism is the new slavery. Whew, Chile, the ghetto. Oh, <laughs> they said, if you didn't hear me the first time, that socialism is the new slavery. What in the Kanye West book of historical facts is that? Because it is so absurd and it is so appalling to make that comparison. And the fact that that comparison was made in reference to an opponent of this president, Bernie Sanders, who's running for president, as you all know, is ridiculous. And the fact that it was done during Black History Month, oh my goodness. As far as defending one person by using one of the most, if not the most inhumane thing that has ever happened to a group of people to the point in which the remnants are still permeated throughout different facets of society and systemically and structurally and people are people are still impacted by this issue and to make that comparison so easily in defense of a bigot is just beyond me okay it, it was beyond me but anywho part two of the clownery and i think i might just make that into a segment hashtag clownery okay as if that wasn't enough, there was a round table in honor, quote unquote, I use in honor very loosely of Black History Month. And during that round table, of course, Black people were invited from all parts of the country, including DiGiorno and Diamond and Silk. And during this round table, a black man, and I could only tell based on the voice, interrupted and said, Oh, I hate to interrupt, but I just want to say, you, pointing to the current occupant of the White House, are the first black president. Mm? I had to rewind that. I had to play that two more times to be clear that I heard what I heard, okay? And this man, this black man had the nerve to say that this president is the first black president. <laughs> you know that saying when people say you have to laugh to keep from crying? Yeah, that, that was one of those moments. The absurdity of it all, the delusion of it all, ridiculous. 
So I say that to say Black History Month was rough. But in addition to those moments, we also saw, and this isn't something that was new, I believe this was done maybe a year and a half ago, in which this president and his administration renamed Black History Month nationally. So the way that Black History Month is now phrased or termed as is not Black History Month nationally, federally. Federally, this administration changed it to National African American History Month. And I know what you're thinking, like, okay, what's wrong with that? The problem is not all Black people are African American, right? Black people don't just exist in the United States of America. As a result of the transatlantic slave trade, Black people are everywhere, all across the globe, even in the regions in which they try to eradicate us or in the regions in which they try to colonize and become settler colonialists and in the regions in which they simply don't try to admit to our existence, we still exist. So when you have someone try to rename Black history, which is encompassing of all Black people across the diaspora, to just African-American history, and I'm not saying that this is, that it's not enough to be African-American. I want to be clear. I'm not saying that because everyone knows African-American people are incredibly strong, incredibly resilient. The origins and the people who formulated this country banks on the shoulders of black people, of African-American people. So to be clear, I'm not saying that it's not sufficient. All I'm saying is it's not encompassing of all black people. And I think that's purposeful, right? I think that's purposeful by this administration where in order to be successful in a divide and conquer, in a bigoted, in a racist, in a xenophobic, in an Islamophobic structure is that you need to be able to separate people. You need them to not see their commonalities. You need them to look at the situation as us versus them in order for the seeds of racism and um, segregation and all of these issues to permeate, to permeate fully. You need to convince people that they're not alike, that they're quite different, right? And the way that you do that is by changing Black History Month, which celebrates Black people, Black history, Black ingenuity, Black creativity, and the fact that pop culture is Black culture and has been not just in the United States, but throughout the globe. You want to rename it from Black history to African-American history, making it seem as though Black people don't exist everywhere and that our commonalities as Black people, whether we be African-American, whether we be Belizean, whether we be from Haiti, whether we be from the African continent, whether we be Black in France, whether we be Black in any region, it's to try to make that distinction. And that's incredibly problematic. So for that reason... I really thought that Black History Month was a lot. 
and that we needed to redo because on top of that, we also saw a lot of the presidential candidates running for 2020 doing everything that they can to try to pander to the black vote. We saw candidates dropping that thing to shake that beep. (laughs) We saw candidates sit there and make comparisons to black people as being impoverished, right? As though black people are just impoverished and that we aren't you know, a diverse group of people from different backgrounds, socioeconomic status, um, educational status, all of these things, and try to create monoliths, right? So I really felt like we needed a redo. But then, right before I pressed record on this podcast, the ancestors sent a gift, okay? (laughs) And that was... Pete Buttigieg, a candidate running for office, has dropped out of the race. And if you're like, oh, girl, that was a little harsh, then I need you to just type in a few words into Google. And that is Pete Buttigieg and the black community and see what pops up. But the ancestors blessed us with a gift. And that was the gift. But then on the flip side of that, we're having a lot of our black leaders of you know individuals who are in the black community buy into a very problematic individual that individual being bloomberg michael bloomberg who is the former mayor of new york and people are buying into these 400 million dollar advertisements that are being put out by his campaign which one is using President Barack Hussein Obama's voice to make it seem as though he has endorsed Michael Bloomberg when in fact he hasn't endorsed anyone for the 2020 election yet. And instead the Bloomberg campaign is running an advertisement of a clip of President Obama speaking speaking positively about Bloomberg from the time in which he was president and the time in which Bloomberg was mayor of New York. So it's false advertising, it's deceptive marketing, and it's just incredibly problematic. But in addition to that, as though that wasn't enough, there is another ad in which the Bloomberg camp is running because, you know, he has the coins. He spent over 400 million in less than 12 weeks. Absurd. And the other ad is equally deceptive in saying, oh, you know, Bloomberg is on the advertisement saying, oh, well, I know my life would have been completely different if I had been black. Hmm. Okay. So let's break this down a little bit, right? You're making yourself seem as though you've invested into the black community, black business, black entrepreneurship, and the overall good for black people in the country. Hmm. Yet, when he was mayor and had the power and the authority to be able to change laws, one of the things that he actually enacted was stop and frisk. Stop and frisk in which people like Khalif Broder were negatively impacted by and much of the black community much of the latino community were impacted by and that policy was utilized in his own words as a blueprint to criminalize black and brown people and ultimately incarcerate them 
Khalif was stopped on the basis of stop and frisk in which someone accused him they stopped him they frisked him they um jailed him then further incarcerated him mind you no evidence was found during this time that solidly you know confirmed that he was the person who did this act that this one witness accused him of but that was sufficient for them to use to incarcerate him for years and this sentence and this time incarcerated took so much of a toll on him that he committed suicide. And I believe his family was only given $3 million. First of all, no amount of money can compensate for the loss of a loved one. But really? $3 million when there was no trial, no evidence beyond the fact that there was a single witness... And you feel as though that's sufficient. And that was based on Michael Bloomberg's policy of stop and frisk. And that policy was ultimately used not just in New York, but across the nation as a blueprint for law enforcement. And now he wants to bamboozle us into believing that he is the candidate for black people. And if we want to be able to see a better America for black people, that we need to put our cards, or in this case, our votes on his campaign. And it's deceptive. It's disgusting. It is blatant. It's absurd. But for some reason, it's working. And the reason being, the other candidates simply don't have the millions of dollars that it takes to be on every TV screen. Basically, every other commercial that airs is a Bloomberg advertisement. To be on the radio and to be in people's faces and voters' faces as much as he's being. So it's working that in, you know, 10 to 11 weeks that he's been able to surge into second place in a lot of polls. It's absurd. But I see why it's working, like I said, because other candidates simply don't have that sort of capital. Campaigns are raising, I think, you know, Senator Sanders raised $46 million in a week, I believe I saw most recently. And it's a drop in the bucket in comparison to a man who's literally buying the election to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's a deceptive but it's working. And I'll tell you this. Last week, I went to canvas for a presidential candidate, Senator Elizabeth Warren. And I spoke to a 92 year old woman from Mississippi, rural Mississippi. And, you know, she's telling me about her past and the fact that, you know, she was also, um, you know, someone who picked cotton and she told me about the children that she had and the grandkids that she raised. Her story was just phenomenal. Um, much like much of the black elders that you will meet and just sit at their feet and hear the stories that they have to tell about their lived experiences. Oh my goodness, it's powerful and it will leave you in awe. But yes, this is what this 92-year-old woman was telling me. And, you know, eventually I asked her, you know, I'm, I'm there to canvas for Senator Warren. Eventually I asked her, who do you plan on supporting for the California primary? The California primary is March 3rd. This video is March. This podcast is March 1st. And the primary is March 3rd. And I asked her, I said, who do you think you're going to vote for? And she told me, Michael Bloomberg. 
I've liked what he's had to say. And immediately I'm thinking back to everything that I said previously about the deceptive marketing because I thought to myself, I'm like, wait a minute, she likes what he's had to say, but wait, he's only been, you know, because at this point he'd only done one debate after that he did another one. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wait, really? You like what he has to say, but he's only been on one debate stage. And in that one debate, he did not perform well, but yet he's still surging amongst the voters. A lot of black voters as well, too, because he's on the airways. So it just put a lot in perspective for me that people are literally buying or should I not even people he is literally buying this election and that's something that we should be wary of okay and so for those reasons I was like whew we need a redo so with DiGiorno and Spice and the comments about him being the first black president and you know seeing the fact that Bloomberg is surging despite stop and frisk and his other very anti-black policies and the continual pandering of black voters without substance and the correlations to black people as though we are a monolith and feeling as though because you have the endorsement of a black person in the black community that that's indicative of the way in which the entire black electorate will go for you has been absurd and yeah with that i'm just like we needed a redo okay of black history month but like i said earlier for me black history month is every month each of the 12 months it is each day of the 365 days a year and i take great joy and pride in my culture throughout the year and my ethnicity throughout the year but what really reinvigorated my spirit was yesterday at church i am seventh day adventist it's a denomination of christianity just for y'all who don't know i'm not thinking or assuming you don't know but i'm just putting out there putting it out there for those of you who might be like advantage so i went yesterday and who i forgot you know the pastor had made an announcement like the beginning of the month that the 28th or the 29th 29th yes was going to be the black history month program and he had told everybody to dress in you know specific traditional attire either specific to the african continent or to the region of a country that you would like to you know represent for so I forgot that he was even doing that because in my mind, I'm still thinking that there's only 28 days in February, not remembering there is a 29th this year. And so I did not wear my garb. I did not show up in the attire. Oh, what a missed opportunity. Okay, because she would have slayed, but that's okay. Like I said, there's other days for that. I could do that throughout the year and I do do that throughout the year. But anywho. When I got there, of course, the procession was late as far as the procession of participants in the Black History Month celebration was late. You know my people, okay? (laughs) 
<laughs> we were it was like 45 minutes late the pastor was literally sitting there like uh are y'all finished or are y'all done because you heard the you know the commentary going on at the back of the church behind the double doors in which they're preparing and you see the pastor like okay like trying to get updates as to what's going on when it finally started though see that's the thing about my people okay and that's me as well i may be fashionably late every once in a while or maybe every single time but when i do show up i show out that's the difference but like i said they were late but when they finally came through those double doors and started the procession it was incredible oh my goodness the details the presentation the grandeur of it was spectacular easily one of the best black history month programs that i've seen at a church yes but also in general it was so good let me tell you how it started so the procession that came in each individual participating in the um, procession had a flag that represented either a country on the african continent a country in the caribbean or a country with a large black population afro-latino population etc so of course i saw the belizean flag you know but we're in church i wanted to be like <laughs> whoa 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 <laughs> but I was in church, okay? So she was calm, she was cool, and she was collected. But if I had it, I would have been like, Belize, jump up, jump up. But I didn't, I didn't. I, I'm going to save that for carnival, okay? But they had the Belizean flag, the Jamaican flag, Trinidad and Tobago, Barbados, um, Ghana, um, Senegal, Eritrea, Ethiopia, the flags, the clothes, everybody was represented. And <laughs> the part that made me laugh in the midst of the preparation is that everybody had their flag. And last minute, I see someone jump on the stage, grab the American flag, I guess to include it in the presentation. I was like, okay, if, if you got to do that, <laughs> if you have to do that, and they included it into the presentation. But they came in when the procession was finished. I was like, oh, wow, that was already so good. And they came in, marching in to marching to Zion. Whoo, that is my song. Mm, mm, mm. Marching to Zion is one of my favorite hymns ever. I'll save that for another podcast, but just know that it is one of my favorite hymns and it immediately touched my soul, touched my spirit, touched my heart. It was so good. So they came marching in to march into Zion. Then when I thought, okay, they're going to be done once they get to the front, they all get into formation. Okay, I'm giving you a play-by-play recap of what took place during my church's Black History Month celebration. And as a matter of fact, they didn't just call it Black History Month. They called it International Black History Month. And they came, they got information on the main stage of the church. 
line by line of people holding their flags. And when they finished with marching to Zion, each individual in a certain order, I don't recall what the order was, went by country to introduce themselves, a fun fact about their country, the language of their country and the significance of the colors and the things that were depicted on their flags. Oh my goodness, so good, so powerful. And for the people who were a part, like, for instance, if, you know, the person was Ethiopian, then the person introduced themselves and said, happy Sabbath in Amharic, right? And it was just beautiful and touching. And as if that wasn't enough, they started to do spirituals, Negro spirituals, which is something that is just an incredible tradition that you know stems from enslavement but you know came to be a unifying point for members of the black community they started to sing spirituals oh my goodness so good so powerful then there was a performer i am forgetting her name because i don't think she's always at the church she just maybe made an appearance at the church and she started to sing Stand Up by Cynthia Erivo. Um, it's the song that was done for the movie Harriet. And when I tell you she gave a rousing performance of Stand Up, it was beautiful. And she's a classically trained singer. Okay, her name is Ashley. It just came to me. And she's a classically trained singer. And she just slayed the performance of Stand Up. All together, powerful inclusive of people from you know the united states black people from the caribbean black people from the continent of course and it was just incredible to see such a show right a literal show of solidarity of inclusion of recognition of where we all come from and especially as a black immigrant and a woman from Belize seeing her flag up there recognized as part of black history month it was beautiful and I'm just so grateful to be able to have this podcast and I wanted to share that with you for the simple fact that I, one, can, and also because for a long time, we would often, you know, for me, as someone who is involved in the immigrant rights movement, in the uplifting of undocumented and Black specific voices and stories, someone who worked for a national immigrant rights organization, someone who's building her own um, organization that addresses and connects my fellow undocumented people to civic engagement and policy and just politics in general and as someone who will always fight for the most marginalized person in the room I'm just grateful to be able to engage in these conversations with you it may seem one-sided but I want you all to continue this conversation on anything that I touched on on my platforms you could reach out on undocumented black girl podcast or you could stop by my personal instagram page at Danae d-e-n-e-a r joseph and though it's spelled as denia it is Danae. So often you will see in my bios when I do engagements, keynotes, workshops across the nation, I'll put Danae, parentheses, Danae spelled D-E-N-A-E, 
because you know that you know they misspell your girl's name on the birth certificate the Belizean, you know, office that was responsible inverted the A and the E. So now I'm Dania instead of Danae on documents. But yes, so go on those platforms, Undocumented Black Girl Podcast, Danae R. Joseph, to continue these conversations. I'm grateful that you all have listened with me thus far. If you're still with me, you're the MVP. If you're not, well, sounds like a personal problem. And just kidding. But yeah, I'm just grateful to have this podcast because like I was saying for so long, I think as a black immigrant um, who would often try to tell the stories of myself as a black immigrant and other black immigrants, there's so many, so much reliance on other individuals to tell our stories. And I'm just grateful that I now utilize a platform that will allow me to be the author of my own story whenever, wherever I want to. Um, And to give my perspective from the identities that I just mentioned. So anywho, this podcast wasn't about a specific topic. It was an introduction of who I am why that introduction is crucial to understanding my positionality on issues and hopefully to give you a preview of what's to come because I will be bringing on phenomenal guests to be able to engage on hot button issues, social, political issues, just fun commentary and being the person that I am and understanding that we're not a monolith. Yes, I may be a politico. Yes, I may be an immigrant. Yes, I may work, you know, unofficially and officially in communications. Yes, I may be a commentator. Yes, I may be a public speaker and all of these things. But I also like fashion. I also like makeup. I also like to be a content creator. I'm also an influencer in some senses. And all that to say, like Nikki said, I'm a human being, okay? Meaning that I'm complex. I'm a human being who, yes, understands very complex issues, but likes to have fun. And I want you to be able to see that side and hear that side as well too. So thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait for the next one and talk to you all soon. Bye-bye now.